But I think that dairy farmers overall have a really great track record actually of improving on sustainability issues, uh, water conservation issues, manure management. Um, and so I think for, you know, the next five, 10, even 20 years is really building that consumer trust and having people understand kind of the science behind their food. And I mean, I know that's like a tall order and a lot to, a lot to take on, but I just think in order to secure like future markets, really being like at the table for these conversations around, um, you know, the global food supply chain and what impact that food supply chain has on the environment is going to be crucial for us, like moving forward. A whole new era of communication in the dairy industry is coming. Now you have the brightest minds of the global dairy industry right in your pocket. And what's best? You can listen to all of them while driving to a farm, traveling, or running errands. It's never been this good, and it's never been this simple. The Dairy Podcast Show is only possible with the support and trust of innovative companies like your partner for improving animal performance, Berg & Schmidt, Diamond V, because animal health deserves a healthier approach. AB Vista, feed intelligence and targeted ingredients to optimize rumen function. With early detection in health, reproduction, and feeding, SmaxTech future-proofs your dairy operation. Welcome to the Dairy Podcast Show, a weekly podcast where you'll find cutting-edge insights and everything that's working in the global dairy industry. Ivonic stands for a holistic and sustainable value proposition for livestock production. It combines products and services and leverages digital solutions. This is all backed with high-value consultancy and deep customer understanding. Ivonic turns science-based efficient nutrition, sustainable healthy nutrition, and precision livestock farming into value for customers and consumers. Welcome, everybody, to this episode of the Dairy Podcast Show. My name is Gail Carpenter. I'm the State Dairy Extension Specialist for Iowa State University. And I am joined today by Tara Vanderdusen, uh, the New Mexico Milkmaid. So, Tara, do you want to give me a little bit of background about yourself and your connection to the dairy industry? Yeah, I would love to. Thanks for having me on today. So I'm actually a fifth generation dairy farmer and I I say this all the time, but I just was like a classic rural kid who was like, I'm going away to college and I'm never coming back. Like that was just what I thought. Um, so I went away to college and got my degree in soil, water and environmental science. And during that time, I actually um, started dating my husband and we got married, moved back to uh, New Mexico after I got my degree. And he is also a fifth generation dairy farmer. So um, our parents dairy farm, we grew up together just down the road from each other. Um, and we dairy farm now with his family. Um, he's one of six boys and five of the boys are all on the dairy. So we dairy farm with his brothers and their families. And I um, actually kind of found a very natural role with my degree to be actually a dairy environmental consultant. So I have done that for about the last 10 years is worked with dairies throughout New Mexico and the Southwest working on um, state and federal regulations and permitting, water conservation, manure management, just kind of all of like the back end of the dairy, as I like to call it. Um, And then about seven years ago, I um, was a new mom and I was online a lot, just like talking with other moms about, you know, what you're feeding your kids and how you're transitioning to milk and all of those like new mom things. And I was just seeing a lot of misinformation about dairy farming online, especially in relation to like dairy's impact on the environment. 
So I started sharing online as the New Mexico Milkmaid and creating kind of a platform of being able to share facts and information about dairy farming and dairy sustainability. And that has really just grown and changed and evolved over the years, um, but continuing to really share about, you know, the goodness of dairy and and actually the good things um, that it plays into our environment and um, how it's a part of a sustainable food system. That's awesome. I love that. So what, so you wanted to get away from the farm and you went that environmental science route. So did you ever, did you want to tie that into the industry when you first started or were you really like, what drew you to environmental science in the first place? Yeah, I, um, I took a couple environmental classes. I was originally a geology major and I took some environmental science classes and just realized how much more I loved that aspect of it. Um, with like geology, it was just very like, for lack of a better word, just very rock focused, right? Like I loved environmental science that it was like the soil, the water, like the, how things were more interacting with each other and like the systems. And about the same time while I was in college, um, my dad was actually a part of a group who was working with our state environment department to um, put together a new set of regulations and permitting process for dairy farms. And obviously just very formative years when that was going on. And I remember going to some of those meetings with him at our you know state capitol and realizing like it just felt like dairy farmers were talking a different language than the uh, environmental regulators but like i was like you guys want the same thing like you know like i i drink the same water as my cows do like literally it comes out of the same tank like we want to protect groundwater i all want the same thing. Um, but I just felt like they were just coming at it from such different directions. And so as I was getting this environmental science degree and then coming back to the dairy farm, it just kind of was like light bulb, you know, this makes sense, like be a consultant and be able to help dairy farmers with this process and be able to talk with the regulators for them. And so I've always kind of seen my job as a liaison actually is just being that communicator, um, between my client and the regulator. Yeah, no, that really resonates with me a lot. I think sustainability, it's such a buzzword, right? But we we have there's the three pillars, you know, the economic, the social, the environmental sustainability. And really, like, the, I think you're a perfect example because you said you're a fifth generation dairy farm. You want that dairy farm to be sixth, seventh, eighth generation. You want that farm to last for as long as you know, as long as humans are around, right? So, so yeah, I think that really we do all want the same thing, and it seems like a lot. We spend a lot of time just kind of talking at each other. Um, where it comes to consumers or regulators or whoever else and, and the dairy producers. So that, uh, I like that. That sounds really, that sounds like fun. Yeah. It's not that it's challenges, but I've honestly really enjoyed it. And I feel like then it was a natural transition to go into like kind of sharing online. And again, being that like communicator role of being able to share what dairy farmers are doing, um, with hopefully with consumers, you know, just everyday practices that I don't think people realize that dairy farmers are doing to be more sustainable. And I mean, I agree with you. Sustainability is such a buzzword. Sometimes I feel like I say it like a thousand times in one day, but uh, it is, I mean, it's just what people are talking about and I'm sure there'll be a new buzzword. There already is new buzzwords coming around, but um, still something that's very forefront of people's minds and, you know, products that they're choosing and food that they're choosing. So what does a day in the life of an environmental consultant look like? I feel like it just depends on what I'm doing. Um, I feel like probably the most traditional role, like if, you know, job that I do is um, a lot of environmental consulting that I do is uh, out in the field, do a lot of sampling. I sample a ton of wells here in New Mexico. We have a lot of monitoring wells and we sample those four times a year um, as well as our lagoon. So sampling um, and then obviously 
reporting. So reporting that data back to the state. Um, one of my favorite parts though, of my job is working with producers on, you know, environmental projects they're working on. Um, a lot of the time, you know, what does that look, it kind of looks like helping them with getting equip funding if they're making improvements or just trying to figure out what is going to be like the next best step for them as far as kind of improving from a, a sustainability set, a standpoint. DSM strives to bring our customers efficient, profitable dairy solutions. From essential vitamins like HYD and Victus Transition to next generation products like Biofix, our portfolio is growing as we continue to bring innovation to the dairy industry. Visit dsm.com to learn more about our newest solutions. So what are some common issues that, that you see with the producers that you work with that, you, that you're helping them work through? I mean, here in New Mexico, I would say our biggest challenge and biggest resource concern is really water availability. We are just like we're in a massive drought. We do not have the groundwater that we once had. Um, and so a lot of it, you know, a lot of things that dairy farmers are doing right now is really around here in this area is um, drought tolerant crops. I've seen more varieties of crops planted than I ever feel like I have with people just trying to figure out what we can grow with less water and still be able to make, you know, obviously, um, the right rations we want for our cows. So I feel like that has been, um, a large focus over the last several years. Gotcha. Yeah. I, I'm a big preacher when it comes to the farm, um, farm consultants as a team, right? So it's not just your veterinarians doing their thing and your nutritionist is doing their thing and your agronomist and your banker, they're all doing their own thing. Um, so are you, do you get to work with, with the, with the teams on farm, are you working with the nutritionist as well as the producer to kind of make some of those decisions when it comes to the forages that you're using? Yeah. So a lot of times if, um, you know, we need to grow a certain type of crop a lot of times in order to take up the nutrients that are, you know, coming off of the farm, coming out of the lagoon. Um, and so that is, I don't always work directly with a nutritionist, but definitely the, you know, the producer is going back to the nutritionist saying, okay, like this is kind of what we like we need to grow to take up nitrogen, but what do we need to grow for our ration? Like it is, you said that whole system approach and even working with the crop consultant or the agronomist, like I am not an agronomist, but I have to figure out where we're going to put excess nitrogen. You know, where are we going to put these nutrients out onto the fields that make sense for the crop, make sense for the soil. Uh, and so a lot of that is in conjunction. A lot of times, you know, I'm sending my soil results over to the agronomist so that they know what's going on, letting them know. And then they're coming back to me with saying like, these are what we're planting on these fields, you know, how do we work with that? Um, and so it is a full team approach. Are you familiar with the concept of low crude protein rations, or I guess we call it more amino acid balancing now. Um, do you see as we're trying to lower the, the crude protein content of our dairy rations, are you seeing any implications of that? Are you a believer that that makes a, a bigger impact or are you not really Familiar. I feel like I cannot speak to that <laughs> at all in any type of scientific level. So I'm sorry. Oh, no, that's fine. I was just curious. I am going to ask you about water quality, though. Um, so you said water availability is a big thing, but you're also you're testing you're testing water for, for quality as well, I'm assuming. Are there are there water quality issues that you have in the southwest there? Or is it mostly availability? 
Um, I would say availability is the biggest. Uh, our water quality in our groundwater is actually we're on the Okalal Aquifer, which is an extremely great uh, aquifer, just really high quality water. So we're super lucky with that. Um, obviously, you know, keeping an eye on any excess nutrients, um, you know, seeping down into groundwater. Um, our range and where I'm at, I mean, this can vary so widely throughout New Mexico. I mean, I've worked on farms that are 15 feet to groundwater, and I've worked on farms that are 500 feet to groundwater. And so obviously you're going to be approaching your nutrient um, application differently in those two areas and the concerns are going to be different. So yeah, those monitoring wells, you know, are upgrading of the facility and downgrading of any potential source and then keeping an eye on them. I always though, am a firm believer that really, if you have an issue, you're going to see it in the soils first and foremost. Um, so we sample to three feet, we sample every foot individually. And so you can kind of see how those nutrients move down throughout the soil profile. Uh, and so if you're having, you know, nutrients moving from first foot to second foot, second foot, foot to third foot. That is when the time is to make a change. Make sure you're not continuing to, um, overload those, uh, soils, uh, because once it's down in groundwater, I mean, you know, if it's 300 feet down to groundwater, there's not as many options for making changes. And so really looking at that soil to me is absolutely crucial. Gotcha. So this is a little bit off the wall, um, and I'm not sure if it's something that that you're thinking about a lot down there, but I'm sure you've heard of PFAS, the polyfluoral alkyl. Yes, I'm gonna say I it wrong. Very I familiar just, with PFAS. <laughs> polyfluoral alkyl substances. There we go. I googled it while we were talking to make sure I said it right, and then I still didn't say it right. But um, are you are you guys uh, talking about PFAS down there? Are you concerned? So, and do you mind just kind of explaining that a little bit for? Um, those who might not know. So our next door neighbor is actually the dairy farmer who is out of business because of his, uh, the, so it's an air force base that contaminated the water and it like obviously impacted his farm. Um, we have installed water treatment systems on our dairy just to be safe. Um, we test our water now for PFAS as well. Um, but all of our cow drinking water, everything is gone through, um, an extensive, uh, treatment, water treatment system. Um, it is there. We could probably spend two days talking about the PFAS situation. Um, but yeah, I, that's one of the things I have been consulting with, um, for dairies here in this area for the last couple of years. Um, a lot of it is just monitoring, making sure that they're, you know, that it's not that the plume is not moving towards other facilities, um, and just kind of keeping an eye on things. Unfortunately, the air force has not done anything yet about it. Um, yeah, but it's obviously a very complicated issue. It's not just our area. This is, you know, PFAS is a problem across the country. Um, but obviously making sure that our cows are getting the highest quality of water has been crucial for us. So it made a lot of sense for us just to go ahead and install treatment and be proactive about it. Yeah. It's really interesting to me not to, not to play the victim or anything here, but it's really interesting to me, like what industries get called out and versus not right. Like, yeah, <laughs> like the, the, so for those that may not be familiar, PFAS are the forever chemicals. They're in like the nonstick pans and, and that sort of thing. And it's a, it's a manufacturing, um, pollutant. Um, and they just exist. They're just forever chemicals that just exist in the environment and are carcinogenic. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. And it's just, they just, they just exist and it's getting more attention, I think recently, but you know, you can't eat a burger because that's going to destroy the planet. But at the means, <laughs> you know, it's a, a little bit not to not to put words in anybody's mouth, but 
Yeah, this um, was firefighting film was actually where ours came from as the Air Force would do like mm. um, test runs of firefighting and they would use the the foam is what contained the PFOS to put the fire out. Okay. And so that's where it came from. Um, but it is really uh, interesting, like the entire process when I have to sample for PFOS, like when we do um, check groundwater in the area, I have to wash my clothes in PFOS free water. I can't wear deodorant, lotion, makeup, any kind of hair care products. I shower that morning before I can't wear anything that like is water resistant. Um, oh, wow. I can't have touched any kind of fast food bags. Like I, it literally, there's like an entire list. It's like, if I know I'm going to be sampling for PFOS, it's like a process in the morning, kind of even getting ready the night before washing my clothes. Um, and so I like, I test my water so that I know that my washing machine is PFOS free water. Like it is kind of wild. What all goes into the sampling of it. That's intense. So those, so there's PFOS and all of those things that you listed then basically. basically wow. Anything that is like, like you said, like a nonstick pan or like the inside of like a fast food um, bag come, sometimes is lined. If you feel them, like it, it doesn't feel like cardboard. It feels like slick, anything like that, that would be like creating kind of a barrier basically. Oh, I always, and this shows how much I've paid attention. I always thought that was like wax paper, but maybe wax paper has PFAS in it too. I don't know. I have no idea. That's such a good question, but yeah, a lot of, um, you know, skincare products, a lot of different things. And instead of like going through and seeing what has it and what doesn't, I I've just gotten to the point. I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm probably going to smell today. Cause I'm not allowed to have deodorant on <laughs> and I just go for it. <laughs> it's a nice excuse to like be low maintenance for a day though. Right. <laughs> yeah. No, I totally, when I show up to sample and there's no frills at all, it is just there nice. to do the work. <laughs> So what do you think is the ne are the next challenges that we're looking at as an industry? So so we've talked about PFAS a little bit as one, but but moving forward, what do you think as an industry in the next 20 years are going to be the big issues that we're going to have to contend with? Yeah, so I'll probably kind of come at this from um, my like social sharing standpoint of what I kind of see online and different things. And I really think that dairy has such a strong message. And for us to really get out in front of issues from now on, I feel like we've spent a lot of time on defense um, and really being on offense and getting like our messaging out there and what we know to be true. I think we've had the finger pointed at us a lot. Um, a lot unfairly. I mean, I think there's room for any industry to improve. So I'm not saying we can't improve, but I think that dairy farmers overall have a really great track record actually of improving on sustainability issues, uh, water conservation issues, manure management. Um, and so I think for, you know, the next five, 10, even 20 years is really building that consumer trust and having people understand kind of the science behind their food. And I mean, I know that's like a tall order and a lot to, a lot to take on, but I just think in order to secure like future markets, really being like at the table for these conversations around, um, you know, the global food supply chain and what impact that food supply chain has on the environment is going to be crucial for us like moving forward. We can't expect a place at the table if we don't take it for ourselves, right? Yeah. And I think that is a big thing. I think a lot of times, um, I, I feel like within the industry, I could, there's often like joking of like, you know, sustainability being a buzzword, like when is it going to go away or, you know, not wanting to really address it. And I think that the more we can address it up front, like it's almost like pointing out, it's like if you're in sales, one of the ways to sell a product is to point out your pain points and tell people why those shouldn't be pain points. And I think that's what dairy kind of needs to do is really step up and say, okay, you have this concern. Let us like tell you, let us address it. Let's get like get in this conversation with you before you've made up your mind about whether 
it's good or bad or whatever food you're choosing. Um, and so I think that's kind of where we need to be at. So as an industry, we've made a lot of leaps and bounds when it comes to reducing the footprint of our product um, and making our product a lot more sustainable. And I think most of our audience is probably pretty convinced of that at this point. Um, although you can you can make an argument for for that as well if uh, in a little pitch if you'd like. Um, but I guess I'm curious, uh, you know, we talk, we, we have made a lot of improvements, but there's still always, always progress that can be made. So what is the, what is the next step in making progress and what should we be focusing on as like the next bottleneck in, in making our, our industry even more sustainable than it already is? Yeah, I think there's so I think now is like a really exciting time to be in the environmental dairy space. There is so many things happening on like every end of the dairy, Um, you know, like on the feed side we're I think we're going to we're just barely starting to see what could be the potential with feed additives and what we can do to reduce, you know, methane emissions in that way, like right from the source and ultimately make the cow more efficient that they're not you know, belching and releasing methane, but they're being more efficient with their energy consumption. And on the back end of the cow, I mean, I think there's really cool things happening in a lot of different spaces. I mean, digesters have been around for a while, but there's even more technology coming out and really like looking at how we can turn that manure into a really great fertilizer beyond just removing the energy, uh, the natural gas from it. So I think that no matter which area you're looking at, there's a ton of development. Um, if you've been following USDA, obviously there's a lot of grant money out there right now for a ton of research. Um, I think they ended up doubling the grant money that was available because they had so many projects to fill. And, um, I'm excited to see what comes out of those, to be honest with you. I, I think there's a lot of really cool technology. There was a lot of great ideas. Um, in some of my work, I talked with some of the USDA officials that were talking about, you know, the applications they received were incredible and so numerous of what people are studying and really propelling the dairy industry forward with. Yeah, it really is an exciting time to be involved, isn't it? Like there's I think people are exactly like you said, you're looking at the front end and I love it how you call it the back end, but um, I deal with the front end mostly in my role as a nutritionist and you deal with the back end mostly, but we see digesters going up everywhere up here. And, um, I, there's a lot of opportunity for things like cover crops and looking at the farm system as a whole and trying to reduce its, uh, reduce its footprint that way. And, and farmers have always been, I think, a creative group of people, right. In terms of being able to, um, affordably maximize their resource utilization and Absolutely. all of that well said. In, yes. <laughs> all of that ties into sustainability too, right? Because exactly like you said, it's making the cow more efficient, it's making the system more efficient. Um and uh and yeah, it's really I I I I teach some of our senior dairy science students here and I spend a lot of time this semester in particular talking about how far our industry has really come, even, even since I've been, you know, in my career, it's really exciting to see how fast we're, we're growing. So. Well, and I feel like from sustainability, people love to talk about water, manure, soil. And I always left because in my mind, our biggest sustainability messaging is really what our cows are eating and their genetics. Like, I think those are missing pieces in this conversation. Like cows eat, you know, a ton of byproducts. I just shared about that online last week, actually. And then our genetics, like our genetics are, you know, superior, I think, than they ever have been. And that is a sustainability piece, like that they're able to produce, you know, more milk and be more efficient with their feed. Those are amazing things. And, um, I know sometimes that is, 
you get, you don't want to get lost in the weeds when you're telling, you know, consumers about all these amazing things, but it is a really powerful um, piece of our story. Yeah. What do you think holds producers or other dairy industry members? What do you think holds people back from, from being, taking that seat at the table and sharing their story? I, it's, I think it's a combination of things. I think there are people who just want to dairy farm and just be able to do, I mean, there's plenty to do with just that. Um, being able to get off the farm, be able to go and attend things is obviously challenging. Um, and it's, it's just not for everyone. I don't think, um, at the same time, I think that I, I mean, I hate to like, I don't want to bash the older generation, but I think the younger generation is really excited to step up and maybe fill some of those roles and are looking for ways to be able to connect with people. And, um, I think that so far, I feel like I, I, I feel like I've seen a transition. I think we have a lot of really great organizations out there right now that are helping us make sure that we have a seat at the table that are reaching out to farmers, producers, ranchers, um, across agriculture and making sure there, there are producers, you know, voices heard. Um, so I think there's a real shift happening and I think you can see it. I feel like now more than ever, I've actually been seeing positive things in the media and mainstream news about dairy. I mean, it's like, you know, small, there's no small wins, but, um, I definitely, definitely think there's a shift happening. If you're talking to somebody who's trying to look and make that first step towards, um, towards taking the seat at the table, towards uh, connecting with producers more, what are the recommendations you make to that person as to kind of where to get started? Yeah. So I feel like my biggest thing is always like saying yes. Sometimes it's just as simple as saying yes. Uh, you know, you think about like those times that somebody in your community, you know, reaches out and asks for like the class to be able to come out to your dairy or, you know, for you to be able to share something about dairy. And it's so, it's so easy to say no. Right. Like, and just by saying yes, putting yourself out there in the simplest ways can have such a positive impact. Um, and I really think that's collaboration between, you know, allied industry and the producers being able to work together. Like I think about times that we have, um, had tours or done interviews or done whatever. And it, it is so much more impactful when we're able to have our nutritionist or our vet or some kind of allied industry there with us to really like back up what we're saying. Like, it's not just us as the farmer, but these, you know, these are the people and the resources that we're able to use and that are helping us with this. And so just kind of being able to collaborate and, and say yes to different opportunities goes a really long way. Yeah. Are there common mistakes that you see people make, uh, when they're, when they're interacting with producers, are there, are there pitfalls that you kind of warn people to step around? So, you know, environmental consulting, it's kind of interesting because the company I worked for a lot of times, you know, the resumes we were looking at were, I, I don't know, I just not always ag backgrounds, right? Like they were more environmental, a little more environmentalist kind of attitudes, I guess. Um, not that that's like good or bad, but a lot of times this was their first time on a farm when we would hire someone and it was, there was definitely ways to approach conversations with producers and especially on the environmental side. I don't think producers always love to like deal with their lagoons. If we're being honest, they'd much rather be dealing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah they'd much rather be dealing with their cows. Yep. Um, and so, you know, approaching the conversation, like I think as an allied industry, it's easy to go into a conversation with a producer thinking like your piece is so important and what you do for the farm is so important. And it is, but there are 
20 other important pieces. Like as the environmental consultant, I have to remember, you know, the vet is telling them something, their banker is telling them something their you know, their accountant, every single piece of the allied industry is telling something that's crucial to them. And so just approaching that conversation in that way of knowing like they're your one piece to this entire puzzle, I feel like helped me have better conversations with producers and just coming at it from um, a more neutral standpoint can be really helpful. And so just kind of like having people that are new to dairy understand all of the pieces of dairy um, was crucial for having a really good client relations. So I I work in our animal science department here um, at Iowa State, and we get a lot of our undergraduate students that didn't grow up on farms, but they they come in because they want to go to vet school or whatever else. And we kind of bring them into the fold uh, when it comes to agriculture and animal agriculture as a whole. Are there things we can be doing as at, at the industry level or at the academic level or, or wherever else? Are there things that we can be doing to kind of to get those those people who are interested in environmental science, those students who are interested in environmental science and kind of pull them in to agriculture and, and show them that agriculture is actually like it's a really cool industry to be a part of? Yeah, it's funny you say that. I feel like one of the most often questions I get or comments I get from people is somebody being like, hey, my my niece, my nephew, my cousin, my my child, my grandchild is getting this like environmental science degree. And I want to show them that they can come back to ag. Like, how do we do that? Um, and so that is a really great point. I think that a lot of times when I tell people what I do, they don't even realize that's an option for a job in environmental science. So I do think there is some outreach to colleges and different things of being able to, you know, recruit these kids that are getting environmental degrees or whatever kind of degree and show them that there's opportunity in ag. I mean, I think this even translates into the tech space. Like I think if, I don't think people realize how much tech goes into agriculture and dairy and being able to like really reach out to those universities and be able to show them that there's opportunity within ag for so many different degrees and backgrounds. And then we really like need it all. And showing them that it's actually an exciting time. Like we talked about, there's literally millions of dollars being hundreds of millions of dollars being pumped into so many different technologies within the ag and food and uh, dairy space that people should, young kids, young people should be excited leaving college if there's an opportunity to jump into ag. And so I think kind of positioning ourselves that way in the college space could be helpful. Yeah, there's space for all different types of nerds. <laughs> Absolutely. Like, yeah, get involved in dairy. Like we need everybody in dairy. Yep, so yep. come on in. <laughs> I always tell my students, you know, when we're working through um, like the the software, dairy, dairy management softwares or ration balancing softwares, I'm always like, if you like this or if you think this software could use improvement, like go get a degree in computer science and or a minor in data science or whatever else. Because that's, I think, really where the careers are going to be in, in 20 years or so is on that on that that precision ag side, which kind of ties back into the whole sustainability story, too, and just the overall efficiency and and how far we can we can come and how we can actually use technology. It's not just the little red farm out on a pass or little red barn out on the pasture anymore. It's it's a it's a business and it's automated. And, and that actually is working towards a more sustainable future. Yeah. I mean, one of the biggest pieces about sustainability and like telling our story, quote unquote, is having the data to back it up. And I I think we do have the data. We know we have we can have the data, but like compiling that all into, um, you know, messaging and, you know, 
turning the data into actually something more than just numbers on a screen is crucial for us to being able to convey that to people of exactly what our numbers look like and how we can kind of prove those numbers. So I agree with you. There's, there's a lot, there's a lot of things like it all comes kind of full circle, um, here that you, we know we're doing good things. We need the data to prove it. And then we need to turn the data into a good, you know, marketing messaging. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's hard to, I mean, you saw, talked about dairy farmers want a dairy farm, right? And I think a lot of times scientists want a science, right? And so like the people who go and get these degrees in environmental science or animal science or agronomy or, or whatever other computer science, whatever it is, it's hard to also put on your communication and outreach hat. Um, and so like there's, there's careers in that too. And a lot of, and, and we really need to be working with our, our marketers and our communicators as well. But, but do you have advice for, for the scientists and the nerds of us out there who don't necessarily like getting up and, and telling the story? And it's really easy to kind of use jargon, right? And it's, that's true for, for dairy producers as well as for scientists. But do you, do you have advice for those people trying to figure out how to, how to convey a message about something that they're really passionate about? Yeah, I was at a conference, I guess it was probably over a year ago now, and a PhD student stood up and it was it was about advocating for agriculture. That's what the panel I was on was about. And a PhD student was like, how do we, like, I know so many great facts about dairy and the impact on the environment that would, you know, support your messaging. And honestly, it is, I feel like it's getting it out to, you know, advocates, getting it out to um, check off, like, there is like a missing link there because, and so I see a lot of my job. I talked about being a liaison now on social media. I feel like I am able to kind of take a report that I find, you know, really piece it up, break it down into just like really great sound bites or, you know, those eight second TikTok videos or just that caption that can be shareable um, or carousel that can be shareable on social media. And so I do think there is opportunity for us to really, you know, the, the, data scientists being able to connect with different advocates, whether that's online or again, like I said, through checkoff or other organizations, um, and then hopefully be able to get that out to more farmers um, and then ultimately to consumers as well. But I think by arming our farmers with data, it is so helpful so that when they're confronted or when they're asked about something or when they're showing online, they have that data to kind of back up their story. Um, And so I do think there's there needs to be a really strong uh, relationship there between the scientists and, and the producers and, and then ultimately the consumers. Do you have recommendations for, for places that people can go if you're a dairy producer and you're looking for some of those to arm yourself with some of that shareable um, content? Or do you have recommendations for places to go to kind of stay up to date on that stuff? Yeah, absolutely. Actually, our website, elevateyouragstory.com, we have an advocacy resource guide is what we call it. And we add to it regularly, update it. Um, And what we do is we link to really great um, peer-reviewed data, different white papers that are out there, just different information that we find. A lot of times it gets sent to us just because people know we are trying to get this information out through Elevate Ag. And um, so we update that and you can download it for free on our website. And we have it broken down into dairy, uh, beef, nutrition, um, greenhouse gases. We tried to kind of like break it in so that if you get asked a specific question, you can be like, okay, this is where I need to go for that. Um, And so I think that's a great place to start. You want to say that website one more time in case people missed it? Yeah, it's elevateyouragstory.com. Um, and there's a, a link there that says advocacy resource guide. Anything else before we kind of wrap up with our with our three questions that we ask every guest? Is there any anything else that you want to touch on that you think our listeners should know? 
no, I feel like we covered a lot of ground today. So yeah. we'll move into your guys' three questions. I'm excited. Speaking of efficiency. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's time for our famous three. The Dairy Podcast Show is only possible with the support and trust of innovative companies like Victus Transition from DSM Animal Nutrition and Health can help your cattle get the beta carotene they need to improve fertility. Our Yeast 40, ruminal and intestinal double modulation by ICC Animal Nutrition. Exelite by Protecta, a novel product for the management of hypocalcemia. It's uncomplicated excellence. Fibro Animal Health Corporation, healthy animals, healthy food, healthy world. Ivonic, we are sciencing the global food challenge. Maximize profitability and herd health with early detection in animal health, reproduction, calving, and feeding. The most advanced bolus technology and professional support from agricultural experts makes this possible. SmaxTech, the health system that future-proofs your operation. All right, so we have three questions that we ask all of our guests. Uh, our first question is, what dairy-related resource do you really rely on? So one that I've relied on a ton, and this is going to be me coming at it from kind of sharing on social, is actually our checkoff. Um, there has been so many times that I have... Um, gotten in hot water online or needed support or just wasn't sure what, you know, next steps to take and being able to have some really marketing experts, um, that I can call and that I can ask questions to has been amazing. I mean, our local checkoff is dairy max. And then even our national checkoff with DMI has been extremely supportive. Um, just recently I, I was like in Facebook jail, as I like to call <laughs> it. And I was able to reach, reach out to national checkoff and just be like, what am I doing wrong? What am I missing? And they had some really great tips. Um, and it was just, I know like, you know, social media is social media, but it, it's a big part of um, what I believe helps us kind of open up our farms to other people. And so being able to have that support is amazing. All right. So our second question is what uh, non-dairy or non-agriculture book or resource do you recommend to folks? Oh my gosh. Well, I'm a podcast junkie. So I just like anything I can get my hands on in like the world of ag on podcasting is amazing. Um, I'll give a plug for our podcast. Our podcast is discover ag and we cover three trending news articles every single week. Um, just kind of what you need to know. And we put kind of a fun little bit more like millennial twist on it. Um, and it's from two female, uh, hosts perspective. So if you're interested in podcast, um, I hope you'll check out discover ag. All right. And so our last question is what sets successful dairy, dairy professionals apart from those who are not successful? I feel like, uh, you know, probably a common theme of this podcast has been communication. I think being able to communicate effectively, whether that's communicating with your clients um, or being able to communicate, you know, information that you're finding. I truly believe at the heart of everything we do, we have to be able to communicate what we do. Um, and so I would say just communication skills. Yeah, I love that. It kind of comes back. I'm you know, at a land grant institution myself. And we talk about the three, three pillars of the land grant is not just the research and teaching, but also that extension. And I think that whether you're talking about a research program, an academic program, the dairy industry, environmental sciences, we can, we can nerd out all we want about our favorite topic, but unless we're able to actually pass that on to other people, it's just kind of, it, it's, what good is it? Right. Yeah. So well said. I completely agree. I mean, we can all have information, but unless we're able to convey that to the, the people that need it and that we can support with it. Um, yeah, it, you've got to be able to do that. So I agree. Well, thank you, Tara, Tara, sorry, Tara, for, for joining us uh, today. And uh, 
if people want to look you up on social or anywhere else, do you have any, do you have a place for them to go? Yeah, you can find me on Instagram at Tara Vanderdusen. If you have any trouble finding that resource guide, you can DM me and I'm happy to send it to you. And you can find uh, my husband and I both share on Facebook at The Milkman and Milkmaid. Well, thank you very much. We appreciate your time and insight today. Thank you.